0: I like working with the trades. I like working with a variety of people, but really I have to attribute it back to to my shop teacher in high school, Mr. Butler. He's really the one that, that got me started in this.
1: Welcome to Pro Tradecraft's Career Toolbox. I'm Fernando Pajes, and I'm here to help you turn your day job into a career. We're short on labor in the construction industry, and the labor we have hasn't achieved significant increases in productivity as it has in other industries. Our guest today, Christy Wolf, will tell us why, and more importantly, how we can fix it. Christy started her construction career with the United States Army Corps of Engineers in Germany. While in the Corps, she received a master's degree from the University of Missouri Rolla She taught at the United States Army Engineering School and presently teaches at Bradley University at Peoria, Illinois, where she teaches a variety of construction courses, including scheduling, estimating, construction improvement methods, materials, green construction, and productivity improvement methods are topic for today. Christy, welcome to the Pro Tradecraft Career Toolbox, where we explore the means and methods to turn a construction job into a lifelong career.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I've been so excited to, to do this and to offer some, hopefully some advice or some guidance or just some thoughts for people out in the industry on ways that they can improve productivity and and make it pertinent to whatever their business unit happens to be, because it's gonna look a little bit different for everyone out there.
1: Sure. And you're certainly the most highly educated and qualified guest on our show to date. So a little intimidated by your resume. Let me ask you, how did a nice girl like you end up in a field like this?
0: Well, that's a great question. Um, so first off i was I was raised with an older brother. Uh, and so I've always been somewhat of a tomboy, and you know, anything my older brother could do, I, I thought I could do or even do better. Um, and if I had a choice between you know, going shopping with my mom or going out fishing with my dad and my brother, I always opted for the, for the fishing with my dad and my brother. Um, and so I've always been kind of an outdoors person. I've always been attracted to things that are probably more considered male-dominated fields. Uh, and when I went into high school, I was playing softball at the time and my high school softball coach was also the shop teacher. And back in back in my day when I went to school, um, shop classes were an option. We had welding, we had drafting, uh, woodworking, metalworking, and, and that's one of our problems, and I'll talk about that a little bit later, as some of those programs have gone away. But so I was talking to, to, his name was Squire Butler, and I was talking to Mr. Butler, and I said, I really don't know what I should take for my elective courses. And he says, well, why not try a shop class? And I thought, what in the world? That I knew I really didn't want to do home economics or typing or any of that type of stuff. Um, so I opted to go ahead and take the shop class. And here I am a lot of years later, um, still loving the construction industry. And, and my very first class was a drafting class. And that just kind of hooked me into this whole you know, we can put a vision on paper and all of a sudden we can turn that vision um, into a reality. And it just, it, it's something that I just thoroughly enjoy. I like working with the trades, I like working with a variety of people, but really I have to attribute it back to to my shop teacher in high school, Mr. Butler. He's really the one that that got me started in this.
1: So we'll have to thank Mr. Butler.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes, definitely.
1: Now, most industries are grappling with a profound labor shortage, Krista, You know this, especially the construction industry. But other industries, from manufacturing to mechanics at the corner, have somewhat compensated using technology and other efficiency-building productivity tools. In other words, squeezing more work out of fewer people. But not so with builders. Why has productivity stagnated in the construction industry?
0: So one of the the main reasons and things that we look at, there's kind of three broad areas. We look at the industry, um, we look at management, and then we also look at labor itself. So let me talk real quick first about the industry. Our industry is different. We do not produce multiple items that are exactly the same. So we don't produce a thousand widgets a day and every single widget looks exactly the same. Um, Everything we do is different. Very seldom are you going to do two jobs that are exactly alike. Uh, Even if I'm building for a certain company, I might build a retail location in Georgia and then I might go to North Dakota and build a retail location there. Those are gonna have two very different a working environment. So, so our industry makes it somewhat difficult and and what I don't want to do is I don't want to give this as a crutch for people to say okay productivity hasn't increased and, and here's why and these are all of our excuses. What I want to do is just point out initially here's why we're different and then we'll talk about ways to, to increase it in the construction industry. So our industry is very different. Um, we work out in the weather you know, most manufacturing type facilities, which is what we're compared to, it's a controlled environment. They're working in 70 degrees uh, day, night, November, July, doesn't matter. Uh, we don't have that luxury. So so we're somewhat dependent on, on our industry. We're depending on things like the weather. Uh, management is another issue. I don't know if issue is the best word to put it, but management in our industry, and when we talk about management in our industry, I like to talk about span of control. And when people think of span of control, it's, it's how many people or how many things can you can you effectively manage? I can manage 300 people all over the globe, but am I effectively managing them? A lot of times our management is spread too thin in the construction industry. And we always talk about we want productivity to do better, but we don't have time to monitor and, and we don't have time to track our productivity. So until that becomes a priority with not only management, but especially upper level management, uh, we're probably not gonna see a big increase. And then we'll talk about our labor pool. So this is one of the biggest issues um, that we have. And and I'm gonna talk a little bit first about the older generation. It's always been done this way. Why would Mm -hmm. we change it? If Mm -hmm. I walk onto a job site in today's world and I have five out of 10 of my people working that's about average, you know. And and when I say working, I should say productive. I shouldn't just say working. Um, but about fifty percent are actually productive on a on a construction site, and that has become the norm. And so the older generation says, "Well, why why would we change it? This is what we've always done. This is how we've always done it." And you mentioned about that other industries have taken technology to increase their their efficiency we have not embraced it as much as we should in our industry for a a variety of reasons one people don't like to change Um, two some of the technologies can be expensive especially if you're looking at smaller construction firms they may not be able to to afford those things um so labor is definitely an issue we also don't have labor coming in so we look at our trades and we don't have young people who are willing to stand up and say, wow, I, I want to go be a carpenter, I want to go be an electrician, uh, I want to be a you know a pipe sitter, we, we don't have that. And we can tie that back into, some of that back into the fact that we don't really expose these kids, I say kids, to um, those opportunities early on. So when they're in high school, we're telling them college. College is the only route. You've got to go to college. That's, that's, you know, your best option. Most kids don't get sat down and said, hey, you know what? You can go be an electrician, union, non-union, doesn't matter. But you can go be an electrician and you can make good money. You can support a family. You can have a career. And if you're in a union state, then, you know, they're going to actually send you for training. You're going to get five years of training and then you're going to be making great money. So uh, labor is really a, a key issue for our productivity. The other thing is is we've got a gap. So we've got this older generation and this younger generation. And even the kids that are coming into the trades, they don't really know how to build things. And you think about an older generation, they were accustomed to building things. They were They did things, whether it was farm work, whether it was more you know I think about where I grew up in a rural area and all the kids I knew you know you you drove tractors you worked on tractors you worked on your cars so the mechanic side of things um, we don't do that near as much It's more of an urban lifestyle so you know the industry the management and labor all of those have to to come together and if we want to increase our, our productivity in this industry because we cannot just say, let's have fewer workers and we're going to get you know more productivity out of those.
1: You know, five years in trade school is a little bit like college, isn't it?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, and guess what? You don't come out with any debt. You know, that that is a huge piece. You've got five years of training. You now have a skilled trade that you can do and you're making money right off the bat and not wondering how you're going to pay this large college debt
1: back. There's got to be a way of making uh, construction education cool, because I think that's actually where the where the problem lies. It's not cool. It's not the stuff right. young people want to do. They want to become uh, computer wizards and you know follow in the tracks of uh, the famous billionaires and become a billionaire. That's their illusion. And so they end and, up with not even becoming thousand years, because they have no money.
0: And And so you bring up a great point, and I think this is a we didn't talk about this beforehand, but it's a perfect lead in. Um, I I often tell, I go around and I do classes across the country and I talk about recruiting young people. And one of the keys to recruiting these young people is to talk to their parents. And if you can get the parents to buy in, because a lot of times I'm a parent, you know, you want your children to do better than than what you did And, and not necessarily look at, oh, you know, going into a trade. Um, So so getting the parents to buy into the fact that their children can go out and and do a skilled trade and be successful. Um, The other piece of that is, you know, if I have a student, and we'll we'll just call him Bob, and Bob is a senior in high school, and Bob comes up to me and I say, oh, Bob, I I know you're graduating from high school. What are you going to do? Bob says, oh, I'm going to Bradley University in Peoria, Illinois, and I'm going to study uh, political science and I said oh wow that's great you're going to college Bob I'm so excited I'm happy for you this is great and I'm happy you know and, and that's generally how people will, will respond if someone is going to college now let's do a different scenario I go up to Bob and I say Bob I say uh, I know you're graduating soon what you know what are you gonna do what's your future and he says I'm, I'm gonna go be a carpenter and the reaction is totally different, Fernando. It's mm-hmm. People will say, why? Mm-hmm. Why would you want to be a carpenter? And, you know, I just recently had, every November, I have a group of students come through, and it's about 30 students who are doing a co-op program. These are kids who do not want to go to college. They want to go into a trade. And what I told them, I said, when you have someone ask you why, here's your answer. I said, you got to be confident, and you've got to say, because I can make a good living, because I wanna do a skilled trade. I want to help build America. I said, yeah, it sounds cheesy, but imagine, we don't have carpenters, we don't have electricians, we don't have plumbers, we don't have pipe fitters. That means we don't have buildings. That means when my toilet doesn't flush in the morning, who am I gonna call? I'm not gonna call Bob the political science guy. I need Bob the plumber. Um, And so we need to get society excited about these kids going into an industry, and we need to change it the way we respond to these kids telling us what they want to do for their future.
1: I lived that. I lived that. I was thinking about it as, as you were speaking, but actually, your example, I lived your example. I was uh, a kid, I don't remember how old, maybe 10, 12, 11 years old, and uh, we were in uh, with a group of kids and with a lady that lived in the neighborhood, and she was asking, well, So, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do? And I said, a carpenter. I said that because it was just exciting to me, you know, carpentry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she said, well, I guess somebody's got to do it. It was like a put-down in front of all of my friends. I remember that.
0: Right. Yeah, and, and that's, that's, a, that's something that has become a societal norm that we have got to change, and we have to understand that we need these people. And in all honesty, what do we need? Do we need another engineer or do we need another plumber because you know mike Rowe, i I love watching him and listening to him and he does a a little bit about that exact thing you know do you need another engineer or do you need a plumber well when your toilet's overflowing or your water doesn't work or you want a plumber you don't need Mm -hmm. another engineer Um, and pretty soon we're not going to have anyone to call when the toilet doesn't work Because there's not going to be anyone out there. They're all going to be retired.
1: Roe would be a good guest for us. I'll keep that in mind. I'll reach out to him. But, Christy, in terms of the construction industry, in terms of productivity, is the situation hopeless, or can the construction industry repair its lagging productivity problem?
0: So we can repair it. Um, But the number one thing that we have to do is we have to learn to measure it. And what I mean by that is is how can you evaluate something that you can't measure? So let me give you an example. And this is why I say that it's different for a different business unit. So not everyone is going to be the same. But let's say I have carpenters, okay? And I have this crew, and I know what this crew should be able to do in a day, whether it's framing walls, maybe it's, you know, floor joists, whatever it happens to be, I have to have a standard. And I have to have something to measure off of. So when we talk about we're failing at productivity, one of the things that we're really failing at is we don't have an accurate way to measure it. So I can tell you that you're not being productive, but based off of what means. Is this a number that I've made up what I think you can do? Is it a number that we've worked together on? So there's something called standard work processes and you see it a lot in the manufacturing industry. I worked at Caterpillar and I saw it I was a facilities engineer, but of course I worked with with the production folks and they had standard work processes or standard work procedures. They were supposed to produce a thousand widgets a day. They knew that. Everyone knew that. In the construction industry, we don't do that. We don't look at that worker and say, here is what I expect you to produce today. If you do not, tell me why you didn't. Maybe a machine broke down. Maybe it was weather related. Maybe I didn't have the supplies that I needed. But we are going to struggle to increase productivity until we can learn how to accurately measure it.
1: And analyze why it falls short.
0: Exactly. So there's something called Toyota production systems. Um, and you'll hear buzzwords like black, or Six Sigma, Black Belt, um, Caterpillar actually implemented this, the, the Caterpillar production system. And it's exactly about that. If, if, if we don't meet our production rate, why are we not meeting our production rates? And then not only why, but what do we do to fix that? And... The thing about, like, the Toyota production systems and even the ones that they use at Caterpillar, it gets everyone involved. It's not management saying, here's what you must do. It's management and the workforce saying, let's work together to create this standard, then let's figure out together why we're not meeting it, and then let's figure out together a solution. So I think that's really key until we can accurately measure it Accurately track it, figure out where our faults are. I think it's we're, we're really going to struggle to increase it because we don't have that baseline knowledge.
1: Now, some of these, uh, uh, I guess, analogies or, or examples uh, for big industry, Toyota, Caterpillar, sometimes they're a little hard for the, you know, the local uh, drywall contractor or the local uh you know, remodeling contractor to, uh, uh, you know, to, to figure out how to incorporate, how to make it his own. So by way of a practical takeaway from this really interesting conversation and maybe a homework assignment for our listeners, what can our listeners do to improve productivity in their operations
0: today? So I think the number one key is they have to pick one area to focus on. We cannot, you know, if you're talking especially about small builders, a drywall company, um, someone who builds custom homes, you can't go in and just all of a sudden say, that's it, we're gonna improve productivity in every single area. You might have to just focus on one area. You might have to focus on one crew. So if I have a drywall company and I'm running four crews, maybe I focus on, I don't know why we're focused on Bob, but we'll go to Bob's crew we're gonna work on Bob's crew and let's see what Bob is doing. Or maybe we wanna work on Bob and Sally's crew. We wanted to monitor them for a week and say, okay, let's see what their production rates look like. Well, why why is Bob's crew producing so much more than Sally's crew? Well, maybe Bob's crew has more experience. But you have to take a small little piece of the pie to start with and it doesn't matter if you're a, a caterpillar, or you know, Fernando's drywall company, you have got to figure out what in your business unit is going to benefit the most. And it all comes down to money. In, in all honesty. We, we can talk about all of these things, but we are not able to show, and, and this kind of goes back to a, not maybe an industry and a management thing, both, but we need to be able to show, if I'm going to focus all the time and effort on productivity, what does it do? for my business. And bottom line is, I wanna know, does it save me money? Does it make me money? And, and in simple terms, if I get jobs done quicker, right? I get I get job one done, I can move on to job two. So rather than doing four jobs in a month, now I can do seven jobs in a month. That equates to what? More money. So that's the other thing we have to do, is how do we tie this productivity increase into making more money. Because really that, that that's what it boils down to. No matter what industry you are in, you're in it to make money. And so I think it's critical find that one little piece of the pie. I like to call it low-hanging fruit. Find that low-hanging fruit that's something you can attack immediately and work on to try to make better. And then once you get that low-hanging fruit, move on to the next one and the next one. Then pretty soon what happens is all of a sudden, rather than it being normal to have five people working, now it's normal to have seven people working on a job. I've increased two more people being productive on a job. And in turn, I increase my profit. So, so looking for those low-hanging fruit, looking for, for things that you can you can fix immediately. And if you go in and try to change the world, change everything people are not going to be receptive to it but they will be receptive if you start small and also they'll be more receptive if you get them involved ask mm-hmm. them maybe it's a matter of hey if I had better tools I could be more productive mm-hmm. Simple six so so yeah definitely looking at smaller pieces of pie looking for that low-hanging fruit and then trying to, to track it and measure it and figure out what the benefits especially monetarily are
1: So by way of homework, you might go uh, back to your job tomorrow or whenever you're back at work and kind of observe to start, see what's going on, see who's producing more, what elements may be getting in the way of that production. Maybe it's tools. If you're an employer, maybe you want to get rid of some of those pet peeves and employee complaints, such as I don't have good tools or I right. don't have the supplies. Get rid of those before you start imposing your own ideas in terms of observations that you've had. Maybe if you do it this way, you could do it better. The person is more receptive to that once you've listened to and taken care of.
0: Yes. And, and I worked with a company, and, and they did something very simple. Um, what they did was everybody has a smartphone now. This is not. This is not new. Everybody pretty much on a job site has a smartphone for the most part. What they would do is, if their crew had downtime or unproductive time, they could go into this app, have a drop-down menu, and say, "Why are they not being productive, and for how long?" And now everybody can pull this up and look at it. Um, people are doing it with Excel spreadsheets. You can have a little spreadsheet on on your phone hey, I'm, I'm sitting here for 45 minutes waiting on material to be delivered. Mm-hmm. We have a, a thing right now, you know, with the electricians. Our electricians can't uh, work. You know, it used to be they could turn power off and on. Well, now we have to wait for our electric company. We'll have guys that will sit out there for 90 minutes. They're still getting paid, but they have to sit out there for 90 minutes and wait for the electric company to come to shut the main power off. Mm-hmm. So things like that, that, and sometimes management doesn't even know that's happening or that's going on. So something that's very simple, ways to incorporate, you know, the technology that we talked about. Um, like I said, everyone has a smartphone. A lot of companies now, they're given their foreman's iPads. And so the foreman's have access to, to all kinds of information. And you would think in this day and age of, of information transfer that is literally a click away, uh, productivity tracking and measurement should be, in theory, much easier.
1: Christy, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, You're a great asset to our industry and I appreciate so much the fact that you bring this message of productivity and and especially the message of that working construction is actually pretty darn cool. So thank you so much and uh, look forward to having you back again sometime.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I, I hope that I gave the, the listeners at least something that they can take away or at least, you know, something that they can think about.
1: I'm sure you did. Career Toolbox is a production of SGC Horizon Media Network. I'm your host, Fernando Pajes, and the show is produced by Dan Morrison.